Father, we ask that as we open up our Bibles, that you would open up our hearts and our minds and that you would speak afresh into our lives. God, we need a word from you. We need a word that encourages us. We need words that challenge us. Uh, God, we need words that remind us who we are. And we just ask, God, that as we read your word today, that your spirit will be present among us just to speak afresh into our lives. And we ask, God, that you would give us ears to hear what you would say. We, we join the words of Samuel this morning, and we just say, God, speak. Your servants are here to listen. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So several years ago, uh, Dan Rather, you know, the old uh, TV anchor, newsman, uh, he was in an interview with Mother Teresa. And in the course of the interview, he asked Mother Teresa about prayer. And, uh, and, and so he said to her, he said, quote, when you pray, what do you say to God? And he was kind of like waiting, you know, like what is Mother Teresa going to say? And uh, Mother Teresa said this, she said, I don't say anything, I listen. And uh, Dan tried asking another question. He said, okay, well, when, when God speaks to you, what does he say? And she said, he doesn't say anything. He listens. <laughs> Which is actually a really beautiful way to describe prayer. This space where you go before the presence of the true and living God, and God is there attentive, listening to your voice, and you are there attentive and listening for God to speak to you. And it's interesting because, you know, Mother Teresa is not the only one that has described prayer in that kind of very intimate, intimate language as a conversation between two very intimate and close friends. You know, uh, Brother Lawrence, in his classic book, The Practice of the Presence of God, described prayer like this. He says, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of continual conversation with God. And I think it's interesting because he describes prayer not as a monologue, not as simply a space where you rattle off a bunch of requests, you know, a list of things you want or need in your life. Instead, he describes prayer, I think intriguingly, as a conversation. And what does the conversation imply? It implies that there is a mutual exchange of words, right? I mean, some of you, of course, conversations don't go like that for you. <laughs> some of you are all talk and no listen. And I'll just, can I just be the first to acknowledge that I, I tend to follow, I'm a pastor, you know? And, but for some of us, you know, of course, conversations are like that. Or maybe you are simply, uh, when, when the other person is talking, you are not really listening. You're, you're either speaking or you are planning what you're going to say next. You know what I mean? Uh, but, but Brother Lawrence describes prayer as this conversation between two where, where, where he is there speaking to God and he is waiting, as it were, for God to speak back to him. And uh, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, an old, old spiritual luminary from back, I think, in the 17th century, uh, she, she called prayer, she spoke of prayer like this. She said, prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. 
But I love this description of prayer as an intimate sharing between friends. Now, for me, I'll be honest, uh, oftentimes in prayer, it feels a little bit dry or dull. It can feel sometimes like I'm rattling off words and I don't know whether or not they're connecting with God or, 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 or whatnot. But, but this description of prayer as an intimate friendship, an intimate conversation, a deep and real meaningful relationship with God, it's intriguing to me. Isn't it intriguing? Think about this. And, and, and this is what we are invited into. You know, Dallas Willard in his book on hearing God, uh, he comments on the words of Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 23, where Jesus says this. He says that the Father and I will go make our home with those who love us. In other words, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to enter into salvation, it means to enter into the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an intimate relationship where we both speak and we hear from God. And Dallas Willard put it like this. He says, it is simply beyond belief that two persons so intimately related as indicated by Jesus would not speak with one another. Which again, it implies that it's not just we who pray that do the speaking, that there is also a place in prayer for listening to God and being attentive to and actually hearing his voice. So today we're going to be continuing on in our series called Abide, Practicing the Presence of God. And what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've just been asking the question, what, what do we need to do if we inhabit such a technologically inundated culture where there are so many voices and so many distractions and so many things that are occupying our mental space and that are preoccupying our own hearts and minds. What do we need to do if we are going to find ourselves connecting to God? If we're going to practice the presence of God and actually be in touch with God, what, what are some practices, what are some habits that we can engage in to help us kind of cultivate this rich and vibrant life with God? And so we've been talking each week about some of the important practices. And so we, we've spoken together about silence and solitude. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about prayer, specifically the Lord's Prayer. Uh, last week, we talked about scripture meditation. But today, I want to talk about listening to the voice of God, hearing from God. Now, this topic, I think, I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but this topic can be a little bit sketchy and maybe complicated. Because I think one of the places that is most frequently abused in the life of the church. One of the, the statements, one of the phrases, I think, most frequently used and abused in the life of a church is, God put this on my heart, or God told me, or I really feel like God has been leading me. And then you start pressing below the surface, and you're like, wait a second, you're trying to manipulate me, or you're trying to coerce me, or you want something from me. And of course, that kind of God talk can be used as a tool of manipulation and control. It's been done throughout the history of the church. And of course, pastors can use that language and, and they can use it in order to raise funds for a building program. You know, God is calling us to do this. Let's all go because I heard from God. And, and you're like, well, God didn't talk to me about that. I mean, he's got my number too. And, uh, but, 
But, but we can get a little bit confused on this topic. And then I think for, for some of us, um, you know, we hear people talk, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I run into people, and they almost talk as if, as if God speaks audibly to them on a regular basis. And you can feel like you're a little bit on the outside. You're like, well, I don't feel like, like I've had those kind of senses before. Maybe I've been in a sermon where I feel like the preacher was speaking just to me. And I named that the voice of God. God was talking to me today. You know, and I know that experience. And I know this, this, this sense of conviction. But, but it, I, don't, I don't feel like God is always speaking clearly to me. And then some of us wish he would a little bit more often. Because some of us are indecisive or we've got big decisions we need to make, and we just wish God would send us a text message, or we would wake up in the morning and there'd be an email from God that says, here's what you should do this week. And we would like a little bit more clear direction. And then, and then sometimes it's easy to confuse the, the, the voices in our own head with the voice of God. Uh, I, was, uh, I was turned on this last week to a, a memoir, a little book uh, written by Jeanette McCurdy, who was a child actor and who grew up in a very just uh, manipulative, ab- abusive, coercive home. And she had some mental illness. And, and, and the title of the book was, I'm Glad My Mom is Dead, which, you know, you read the story about her own mom and you're like, I, I get it. But in the book, you know, she talks about growing up with mental illness and also in a Mormon household. And she said that when she was eight years old, she was baptized, and she was taught that at baptism, you, sh- you receive the Holy Ghost. And when you receive the Holy Ghost, you should start being able to hear that voice of God speak to you. You know, the Holy Ghost will speak to you. And she said she, she, she longed to hear his voice. And so she looked for it, and she prayed for it, and she asked for it. And then one day, one day she said, when she was actually in a room uh, waiting to try out for a show that she wanted to get on, she heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. And she said, the Holy Ghost told me to go into the bathroom and to touch my waist five times, to twirl around, and then to do the lock five or six times, and then run back in and cross my name off the list of the child actors. And so she went and did it. And, um, and, and, and she, she, she felt like the, the Holy Ghost said, if you do this, then you will get this, this part you're, you're trying out for. You know? So she went and did it in faith. And then as, as time began to wear on, she, she felt like she continued to hear the Holy Ghost tell her to do these unusual rituals, touch your, your waist five times, twirl around, you know, do the lock seven or eight times or whatever. And then uh, one day she overheard her grandfather talking to her mother and her grandfather said, uh, I think you need to go get Jeanette tested by a psychologist because it sounds like she has OCD. You know, it looks like she has OCD. And... Um, and so she overheard this, you know, in the description of all of her little rituals that she continued to go through. And, uh, and so, so then she, she went into her room later that day and she said, Holy Ghost, is it you talking to me or is this OCD? And she felt like the Holy Ghost said, it's me, it's not OCD. And she went back to her rituals. And of course, now looking back and narrating this story, she recognizes that she had mistaken the voice of the Holy Ghost for OCD. And of course, she's not alone. I mean, I think that there is a lot of people 
that feel like God is telling them to do something, or maybe they're getting confused and they're looking for direction, but is it really God? And how can you know? And how can you discern the voice of God from the voices in your own head and and all of that? And if you've ever had those questions, uh, you are not alone. Uh, These are questions that Christians, many of us have been wrestling with or asking for, for many years. And in the text that we're looking at today, we're going to look at a story that is about a young man who was being, he was learning to discern the voice of God. And from this story, I just want to kind of walk through the story. And as we walk through it, I want to highlight five features of the voice of God in our life, five things that we can learn from this story about the voice of God. And the first one is this. The voice of God is not rare. The word of God, the speech of God is not rare. You know, when I was interviewing for uh, this role, I remember I was in a a big gathering down in the social hall, and I was being asked a bunch of different questions. And uh, one, one... wonderful, you know, one, one wonderful lady in our congregation rose her hand and she said, you know, Josh, since you are so loquacious, and then she went on to, um, and I was like, loquacious, what does that word mean? And then I looked it up and it meant somebody who talks a lot. And uh, I, I, had a, I had a professor in seminary who said that God was loquacious, that our God is the God who speaks. The premise in Christianity is that God is personal, that the God who called all things into being is not simply an idea. He is not the cosmic sea of energy. God is not an abstract concept. God is an infinitely personal God who forever has existed in an eternal communion of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is personal, and God is near. You know, the the Bible teaches that God is transcendent. That means that God is beyond us. God is wholly other. In God's essence, God is incomprehensible. He is beyond the ability of finite creatures of dust like us to wrap our, because he is infinite being, infinite beauty, infinite love. And yet the God who is transcendent is also imminent, which means he is near to us. Uh, The Bible puts it like this, in him we live and we move and we have our very being. In other words, God is closer to you right now than the air that is touching your skin. And so God is personal, God is near, and God speaks. God has spoken in this world through his written word and through the prophets of old. And God has spoken to us through the living word, Jesus. God is the God who speaks. And God has poured out his spirit on us to speak. Now, it's interesting. Look at at our text, though. Look at what it says. I I said that the word, uh, the voice of God is not rare. But in our text, it says that in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Look at what it says. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. You remember Samuel's mother, committed him to the Lord. And as a very young child, he went over and was entrusted into the care of Eli. And Eli began to raise young Samuel as his own child. And he began to mentor him and disciple him. And here, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord, it says, was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. 
And then it says this, and at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see something, I think, almost metaphorical there happening, just as Eli's eyesight was growing dim, so too the vision and the word of the Lord was dim or rare in those days. He could not see. He was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And it says, though, in the very beginning, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. But what were those days? This was back in ancient Israel, uh, just before the days of the monarchy. Uh, Israel was growing and almost becoming into the kind of nation God envisioned where she was going to have a king that would rule over her. But at this time, it says the word of the Lord was rare. But that was back in those days when uh, the people of God resided in a very small geographical location, a relatively small group of people, and the voice of God came through uh, sporadically through prophets that would be raised up by God. But that was back in those days. But friends, we don't live in those days, do we? We live in what the Bible calls the last days. And in the last days, the word of the Lord is not rare. In these last days, uh, the scriptures tell us that the God who is imminent and near and personal and who speaks has poured out his very personal presence and his spirit on us. And he says this, in the last days, friends, the last days, oftentimes we think, oh, this is uh, the days, you know, that we're living in today, you know, after Israel became a nation in 1948, if you're, you know, aware of like Bible prophecy and the late great planet Earth and old, you know, eschatological cult classics like the Left Behind series. Anyway, but, but the last days, according to the New Testament, are the days between the resurrection of Jesus and his coming again in glory. We live in those days. Christ has walked out of the tomb, which means that new creation has begun. It means that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. And one of the realities of the long-awaited kingdom of God is that God's personal presence has been poured out on his people, on all of his people, so that he says, uh, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. In other words, back in the old day, it was sporadic. Uh, but but in, the, in these last days, God's personal presence is poured out on all people. And here's the point. The word of the Lord today is not rare. And if you just stop and think about it for five seconds, right now, literally all over the world, uh, some two billion followers of Jesus are gathering in different parts of the world, and they are speaking in different languages, and they're studying the Bible in different languages, and there they are learning from the word of the Lord. And do you realize that today, all, I mean, just kind of wrap your mind around this, all over the world today, literally hundreds of millions of people will go home, and they will say, I felt like God spoke to me today. And then they'll get in small groups throughout the week and they will speak into each other's lives and they'll feel like, you know, thank you for sharing that. I felt like the Lord really ministered to me today through your words. And then, and then God, of course, is present with us throughout the day. You might watch a film. You know, I remember talking to uh, our children's director, Killen. She was talking to me about the, the scene of Moana, you know, where Moana is, uh, you know, approaching, I don't know, Maui. I've talked about this before, you know. And, uh, and, and the word comes to Moana, do you know, you know, Moana actually is singing this to the, the, the volcano. Do you know who you are? 
I know who you are. And Kellen was like, I felt like God spoke to me in that moment through Moana. And you have too. You felt like God spoke to you through a movie, through a friend, through a sermon. Like God's speech is common. God is, God is, is on the move in this world. He has poured out his spirit. And so number one, the speech of God, his, his word, his, his, his work through his spirit like this is not rare. And if that's true, then we need to learn the posture, a daily posture and a daily practice of speaking those words back to God that Samuel spoke. Speak, O Lord, your servant is listening. You know, so often the problem isn't that God is not speaking to us. The problem is, is we aren't listening. And sometimes the problem, the, the reason why you're not listening to the voice of God is because you are filling your, your head all day long with other voices. You always have music on. You always have the TV on. You always have, you know, notifications on. You, you're always like turning, like you're, you're constantly taking in. And it's like it, it, can, it, can, it can silence the voice of God, as it were, in our own hearts and lives. And so I want to invite you as part of your regular practice of seeking to abide in God, to take space and quiet and ask God, I want to hear from you. I, I want you to maybe here, maybe throughout the day, maybe through a word of a friend, maybe through a film today as I go to church, right now as, I'm, as you know, Josh is speaking, say something. I need a word, you know? The word of the Lord is not rare. But secondly, I want you to see, not only is the word of the Lord not rare, secondly, I want you to see from this text that the word of the Lord is not always obvious, is it? And look, uh, in the text, it wasn't obvious. Now, sometimes it's obvious. God shows up at a burning bush and speaks audibly to Moses. He's like, whoa, you know, that was obvious. Uh, and, and of course, there are stories today of people who, who have crazy visions or dreams, and it's obvious. God spoke. But, uh, but it's not always so obvious, and it wasn't actually obvious in this story. Look, it says, then the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, here am I. Now, it's interesting. God calls to Samuel. You think he would know it was God, wouldn't you? I mean, doesn't have a God have some sort of distinctive voice? God, you know, it's like <laughs> Samuel, you know, I mean. But he, he, it's, it's something other than that. And maybe it's a vision, maybe it's a dream, maybe he's hearing something. We don't really know exactly how the, but we know he, he ran into Eli's room. He's like, here I am. <laughs> Eli's like, uh, I didn't call you, go back to bed. So he went and laid back down. And then the Lord called again, Samuel, you know? And Samuel arose and went into Eli and said, here I am for you called me, you know? I mean, for all he knew, there was an old man in the room next door uh, who was half asleep, who was mumbling his name. And, and he was mistaking God's voice for that. It's not always obvious. Of course, Eli, it's not obvious to Eli either. He still doesn't recognize what's going on. He says, I didn't call you, my son. Go lie down again. Samuel did not know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And then the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Eli perceived. Eli said, whoa, something's going on here. We've played this trick on our kids. Um, he said, here I am, you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. He's like, something else is going on here. You know, it's not always obvious, 
But how was it that young Samuel was able to discern the voice of the Lord? I want you to note well, he was in the house of God and he was seeking wisdom from an older believer. And one of the best ways you can discern kind of God's voice from the voices in your own head, something that God might be convicting you with or leading you into or wanting to talk to you about from other, or maybe even something that you feel like, man, God wants me to share this with you. One of the best ways to discern the voice of God is to go into the house of God, to be with the people of God and to ask a mentor to ask somebody who's wiser than you, who knows more than you, who's gone, who, who's more attuned to the voice of God than you, and say, what do you think about this? You know, it's interesting, in the early church, uh, they frequently had these prophetic words, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and there, was, there wasn't, though, just the prophet, there was also the gift of discernment. They needed to weigh what was said to sift it. Now, this makes the kind of words we're talking about here different from the Bible, we don't need to sift through the Bible and say, which parts do we like or which ones don't we like? All of this is from God. But the, 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 this, this other kind of more subtle speaking that we're talking about here demands that it be tested and discerned. And so Eli was able to help Samuel. And he said, go lie down. And if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went in and he laid down in his place. And so the word of the Lord is not always obvious. So we need somebody to help us discern and to sift. But I want you to see a third thing about the, the word of the Lord, the voice of God from this text. Not only is it not rare, not only is it not always obvious, but I want you to see that the word of the Lord, that the voice of God is not out of step with what God has already said in scripture and in Christ. And this is where people get way off. You know, is they get a word, they get something on their heart, something in their mind, and they want to bring it to you. And you're like, that doesn't sound like Jesus. That sounds like coercion. That sounds like manipulation. It sounds like you're trying to get me to do something. And it's interesting because even the word that comes to Samuel in this moment, it is really a restatement of what God had already spoken in the chapter before, and not just in the chapter before, back in the Torah, in the book of Leviticus. Because look at what he says. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Which that's a weird phrase, isn't it? <laughs> We're going to get back to it in a minute. Um, on that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And so this word that comes to Samuel is a word about judgment that God has for Samuel's mentor, Eli. Earlier in chapter two, he already gave this word of judgment to Eli through another prophet because Eli had allowed his sons to go and abuse their power and take advantage of a bunch of young women who worked around the temple and were doing all kinds of nonsense. I mean, they sounded just like a lot of the celebrity pastors that are getting caught up in nonsense in the news right now. Like that's, that's what's Eli's sons. And Eli didn't do anything about it. And he was desecrating the temple of God, the very house of God. And earlier in the, in the book of Leviticus, God challenged the sons of Aaron because they were desecrating the temple. And he said, before all people, I must be held as holy by how you do your work. 
And so now when Samuel gets a word from God, it is consistent with the word God already gave to Eli before and a word he already spoke in the Bible before. But the word is a word of judgment for the fact that Eli had done nothing to prevent his sons from desecrating the temple. He says, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear that the house of Eli, to the house of Eli, that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So he says, you simply going and doing your sacrifices and offerings, it is not fixing the fact that you are ignoring what your sons are doing to blaspheme my name before my people. So Samuel lay until morning until he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Now, I don't think Samuel went back to sleep that night, do you? He's like, what am I, how am I gonna bring this message to Eli? <laughs> and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. You bet he was. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. <laughs> Eli said, what was it that he told you? <laughs> Don't hide it from me. May God do also more so to you if you hide from me anything that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. But the point, of course, um, oh, and we'll close it out like this. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of the words that he spoke fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. It's interesting, the problem in the beginning of the story was that the word of the Lord was rare. Now that problem has been remedied. It was rare because of the sin of the people of God, Eli and his sons. Now that's been dealt with, and now the word of the Lord is coming through Samuel. Samuel is just a foreshadow of the final and ultimate prophet who would come that ultimately will deal with the problem of how rare the voice of God is, the word of God is. The very word of God becomes flesh and dwells among us in the prophet that is greater than Samuel, namely Jesus. But here's the point. When, when, when you're seeking to discern, is this God or not? The question is, is, is this in concert with what God has already said? Now, let me just press this in a little bit, can I? So I think oftentimes in the church, we look to God the way we look to maps on our app. And you know, when you, when you, when you wanna go somewhere, it, it, you, do you remember the days when you used to have to know how to get places? Like, I remember this thing called a Thomas Guide map. I would pull it out and you'd pull, like, you'd try to, like, map, like where you're going to go. And you'd have to learn stuff by, no more. Now you just put it in there and, and your phone talks to you. And you don't even, you, like, you can be unconscious and driving. It'll just say, make a right turn in 100 yards. And then you're like, okay, you know, make another right, make a left, make a right, make a left. And some of us want God to direct our lives like that. But listen, part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that God has not willed you to have your life directed like that. You know, in the beginning, when God creates all things, he, he, at the very crowning act of his creation, he creates the human creatures who are created in his very image. And he says to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and rule over it. 
And I think it's interesting, he gives them a fairly vague and general command that then they are supposed to work out for themselves what it looks like. Be fruitful and multiply. Well, who am I supposed to marry? You know, well, well go on some dates and find someone. <laughs> You know, in the ancient world, you know, your parents are probably going to set you up with who you're going to marry. You know, like the, the important thing is not who you marry, it's how you treat the other person. Or he says, rule, fill the earth and rule over it. Where should we move? What, what, kind of, uh, what kind of work should we do as we rule over your creation? You know, well, I've given you a lot of raw materials. Draw out their potential and do something useful with it. Make art and architecture and beauty and science and all. Go into the world and do work. God has given us tremendous freedom. You know, so often we, we talk about how we should trust God, and of course we should. But have you ever considered how much God has trusted you with? And he, he expects us to grow into maturity so that as people of character who look more and more like Jesus, we can go in and make decisions in ways that would honor him. And I, I think it's, it's kind of like this. You know, when my kids are out playing, you know, in the backyard or whatever, I mean, back when they were kids, they don't like go play out in the backyard so much these days. <laughs> my 20-year-old, sometimes they do. But, I, you know, I, I never, I didn't care whether or not they were in the backyard or in the front yard or whether or not they were playing in their bedroom. Like, my will for them was that they would enjoy themselves and have free creative play. And if they felt like they needed to come in to me and ask me every time, Daddy, can I go do this? Can I go play with this? Can I go play with this? Can I go play with this? Can I? I was like, stop it, just go, go. I don't care. Now, don't fight with your brother and sister. I care about that. And this is God. He gives us tremendous freedom. And, you know, some of us, we're, it's like we're searching all over for the will of God, and it's not even lost. God has revealed to you as well. I mean, preeminently, it's to love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Go out and do that. Do that in your relationships. Do that at work. Do that wherever you move. Do that on your street. And listen, yeah, ask God, God, if you, if you want to break into my day in a special way and tell me something different, tell me something special, let it, yeah, God, God is free and sovereign. He can do that. If God wants to, you know, move me to a different country, you know, he can show up in a dream and I can be open and say, God, I will go wherever you follow me. But I don't believe that the will of God, I don't see this as any, I don't see this in the New Testament. Like the, 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 the speech of God is not there to direct our every move of our days. God has given you a brain and experience and people around you to help you direct every move of your day. But what it's there for, why, what God is there to do is to help us become people of character. Isn't this what Paul says in Galatians? The fruit of the personal presence of God at work in our life, convicting us, speaking to us, putting his finger on things in our life, the fruit of that is what? It's character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. The speech of God, I, I believe, is powerful. It's real in our life. But, but preeminently, it's there to help us become people of character and also to assure us and remind us of what God has already spoken to us in Jesus. You know, the Bible uh, 
tells us that the Spirit of God has been poured out in our hearts to prompt us to cry, Abba, Father. And maybe in your space of quiet in your prayer, when you say, God, speak to me, if at any point you hear a voice that says, I love you, you are my child, rest, that is the voice of God. The Spirit of God is there to remind you that you are a son or daughter of the King. So the speech of God, the voice of God is not out of step with what God has already said. In Scripture, it's not always obvious, and it's certainly not rare. God is always working among us, speaking. The last thing I want you to see is this, and we're going to close and come to the Lord's table. Ultimately, the speech of God is intended to point us to Jesus. Remember that little phrase in the text? He says, I'm going to do something among you that if the people of Israel were to know, it would sing tingling in both of their ears. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, uh, another translation of the Hebrew says, uh, I will bring ringing in their ears. Friends, is ringing in your ears a pleasant sound? No, it is piercing. It is disorienting. It is dizzying. It's annoying. It's painful. And and God is saying, something is going to happen that is going to be painful and dizzying and disorienting. And in the next chapter, judgment does fall on Eli and on his children, but something else happens that is dizzying and disorienting and painful. The ark of God that's in the very heart of the tabernacle where the glory presence of God was said to palpably reside, the very presence of God that was sort of instantiated in their midst, in this this Ark of the Covenant, the Ark was stolen by their neighbors, the Philistines, and the Ark of God went into exile, as it were. It went into captivity. It was handed over to their very enemies. Now, handed over to their enemies. The enemies had no idea what was going to happen to them. They thought, yeah, we won. We got the ark. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) crazy stuff starts happening with them, with the ark. And they're like, something's going on with this ark. We got to get it away from us, you know? It's almost as if going into captivity, they thought they had earned a victory. But there, as they held the ark in captivity, they realized that this was becoming their defeat. And friends, hundreds of years later, the new ark of God, as it were, the very embodied presence of God, Jesus, the one who who is where where it says that, that here the glory of God, the word of God tabernacled and became flesh and dwelt among us, as if to say, look, the ark of God, where the glory presence of God is now walking in your very midst in Jesus. And what happened? Jesus was handed over to his enemies. He was given over from the chief priest, gave him into the hands of the Gentiles, and they took him and they crucified him. And he, as it were, went into the long night of exile. But what looked like defeat became victory for God's people. And it became victory even for the enemies of God that had taken them. It meant forgiveness and healing because after he had been crucified and put in that tomb, he rose bodily and physically from the grave and walked out. And there, the very life, the very kingdom of God broke into our midst. To say, now, this victory of mine 
can be shared with all of you. you know? And this is not a word that, that brings pain and is dizzying to us. This is a word, a new word of the gospel that actually recenters us when we are decentered. It is the word when you are feeling dizzy and disoriented by the pain of life, by your trauma of childhood, by, by what's going on around you in the situations. There is a word that centers you. And it is the word that God is for you and not against you in Jesus, that God, who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, allowing him even to go into the hands of his enemies. He did this for us so that God might be the God who is forever for you and not against you. And the, ultimately, the word that is active in the world today, the very presence of God is the presence of Jesus. And the Spirit of God is there at work in our life to speak to us, to convict us, to challenge us, but most centrally, to keep pointing us back to His Son, Jesus. And one of the places where the Spirit of God tends to speak to us most clearly is here at the table. As we take this body and we take this blood, the bread and the cup, and we share in these elements to be reaffirmed that God has not left us on our own. God has pursued us and he's drawn us to himself through his son, Jesus. I want to invite our band to come up now. Father, we come to you now, and we just ask that even as we come to this table, that your spirit would be speaking to us in our hearts, that we, we would hear that voice, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. God, would you speak the grace of Christ over us as we partake in the bread and the cup now? And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.